0: it's easy to make it so you're not totally successful. Like we have to get out of this where we feel like we have to do it all alone. We don't and it's not a failure. Yep, It's not a failure to ask for help and it's not a failure to work with others. Whatever, whatever It Takes take is a podcast. podcast about just that.
1: Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to get stuff done. Whether you're a filmmaker. Painter. Entrepreneur. Music. Whether you're a tech person. Artist. This podcast is about people getting stuff done and doing whatever it takes to do just that. This podcast is co-hosted by filmmakers Lindy Boosted and Dan Thornton. Whatever, whatever it, it takes
0: to get the art done. done.
1: My last feature... Uh, Welcome to No Bay, I had a great producing team. So we had a a three-way partnership, myself, C.B. Shama, and and Sarah Crow. We all equally shared the the burdens and responsibilities of that. But none of us didn't also feel the pressure as people being responsible for that. Now, on this juncture, though I have partners, you know, I wake up every morning, I'm like, all right, what am I going to do for this film today?
0: Well, okay, and so uh, playing uh, a little bit of Devil's Advocate... And uh, you know, speaking something that I have heard myself, uh, as a filmmaker, since this is a personal project and you're trying to like, do these, do these kind of things and you're trying to go this certain direction, who's to say people don't come to you and be like, well, then fund it yourself? Why are you expecting anyone else to give you money for that?
1: It's always the, it's always the question. Like, how do I justify this? And that gets back to certain different ways I have to think about this. And it's such a good question. And it's such a good, you know, really, it's the question that we should always be an- asking ourselves throughout the process. Mm-hmm. Why am I doing this? Why should other people care? I, I don't. I don't. It's not funded yet. It's got little bits and pieces of money. I've bootstrapped everything. I paid for everything so far. Um, I've done countless hours of shooting, hiking with Keith and Anina, um, interviews, uh, all sorts of work. I'm happy to do it. Now it's brass tacks. Um, We're almost done with the film. We have one more shot to get at the end of the summer. I got to figure out how I'm going to pay for that. But, you know, we'll figure it out. Um, And then we have the post-production process, which we can even be in post before that last shot to do the rough cut. I think that's pretty much the plan that we're going to go with now. I am simultaneously thinking about how to raise money on the American side of this. And so crowdfunding is, is something that I'm seriously looking at doing again, though I did one with Welcome to Bay. We did one, and it was successful. It was freaking stressful. You know all about that. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot more work than people necessarily it's understand. Full-time job. It's a Don't say that, because then I won't do it. <laughs> I it's, it's, it's like every, all I bring job, it to you. It's a part-time <laughs> job. No, I remember doing it, and we had three people working on that. So you're right in that sense that, that someone was paying attention to that Kickstarter campaign for, uh, for post-production. Cost for Welcome to Dobe, someone was paying attention to that. Not one person had to pay attention to it all the time. This one, I might have to do that. So I'm looking at that side, and that's like the American thing. But like I'm also looking at, look, this is a UK-based story. This is a Scotland-based story. So I'm in contact with with advisors to the first minister of Scotland. I'm leveraging everything I possibly can to shake some money out of one organization called Creative Scotland to fund this fucking film. Because it's in the best interest of Scotland and and artists within Scotland and with filmmakers within Scotland to have successfully produced films in Scotland. But I'm getting the runaround. I'll just, God, I... I saw the, the g- email.
0: It's yeah. the traditional runaround. Like it is, Like, chicken yes. and egg. Yeah. Like, so what's come first?
1: Yeah, it's like, okay, so I first was like, I had to make a decision of who was I going to approach first institutionally. I was going to approach this organization called Creative Scotland. And, and, and for those of you in the United States, Creative Scotland is like, is like the National Endowment of the Arts in, in Scotland. It's the major government-sponsored uh, funding organization for all arts in Scotland. So they fund film, painting, all sorts of stuff. They have a very strong film and television track. Okay, but it's very narrow, and they fund generously, but it's very narrow. The rules that you have to sort of jump through and stuff like that. And so I had to go, or like, do I go to them first, or do I go to the BBC first? And so I took a gamble and I went to the BBC, and they were interested in the project. Okay, they looked at my pricey, they saw the short, and they're like, "This is great." Okay, Um, but we're not commissioning at this time. You should go to Creative Scotland. to see if they're willing to fund the film. And then once you get it to a certain point, bring it back to us. So I go to Creative Scotland and they're like, you should go to the BBC and see if they'll commission it. And so I'm at an impasse, I'm stuck. And now I, now I need to start, without trying to finesse things on the UK side, I need to start rattling cages because I believe this film is going to be a good film, a really, really good film. And I don't like having to do things like contact a personal acquaintance that I know who works in the Scottish government, but I got to work every angle I possibly can cause I got to raise some coin on this, but we've had some traction. So there's a governing agency in Ayrshire, which is the district, the province of uh, where this town Irvine is North Ayrshire council. Actually they're, they're interested in the film. They recognize that Irvine, which is a beautiful old town is also a former industrial and maritime town that has fallen on hard times and they recognize that tourism is important for a town like that. So they're willing to kick in some money institutionally to support the film. That's awesome because that makes a lot of sense, right, for them and and, and for me as the filmmaker. Because I want to celebrate the fact that like, look, if, if people know about Keith Salmon and know that he has a studio in this beautiful town called Irvine. Um, that it's worth people to get off the train and walk around Irvine because it is a legitimately beautiful place. I want to highlight that because that's the experience of Keith. You know, that's, that's low hanging for that's easy stuff to do. Um, so they've jumped on board and are willing to, to run interference. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm calling and sending emails to, you know, to government officials and trying to shake some of this money out. To, and for me, it's a learning process. Is this going to work? And I don't know, to let, you know, after a year after the film is done and shown someplace, then I might be able to say something like, oh, right, that film's done.
0: It's a hard place to be uh, because, you know, like when to get people to part with money, like what what is the exchange? You know, what are you're you asking? But what are you giving?
1: That is the American independent filmmakers dilemma. I'd like to believe that independent filmmakers or filmmakers in general, in other societies where, where it's recognized that to take a certain amount of funding from people's taxes and to reinvest it into culture is a legitimate and important thing to do, I'd like to believe that that's a better and more effective model for producing all kinds of art, not just film. Mm-hmm. That's the world that I want to live in and that's the world I still believe that, like, when I originally went to Scotland to study public financing for the arts, I wanted to come back actually actually knowing what it looked like and it felt like to live in a place like that so I could help inform a little bit of the civic discussion in Seattle in particular about, like, why is it important to actually shake some money loose, some tax money, um, and invest it in filmmaking, and invest it in the arts? Like, why can't, look, we're, we're Seattle. Why can't we think a little bit beyond what's expected in terms of giving back in terms of government financing for for the arts, why can't we actually build some structure within Seattle or even Washington State to be like, no, we're actually going to do our, we're going to do more about this because we believe strongly that supporting artists, supporting filmmakers, f- supporting filmmakers throughout their career, not just project by project, mm-hmm. um, is worth doing. Look, they do it in Vancouver and that's why so much stuff gets shot in Vancouver.
0: Well, and I think it's even one step further as I feel like it's easy and this just might be my my viewpoint, but it feels like it's easy for people to get behind, oh, we need to support painters and sculptures and photographers and dancers and theater people. But film still seems like a frivolous thing. Or that it's industrially
1: seems, supported in some way that's Yeah, like, or yeah. that
0: it's like, well, you're just having fun.
1: Right. There's no such thing, quote, unquote, as the star, the, the, the trope of the starving filmmaker, the starving yeah. director. Yeah. You know, we, we teach about the identity of artists and creative people in the United States. I think we, 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 we've we grown up in culture that teaches us and reifies stereotypes about how artists work. Oh, look, I think artists should be more like Keith Salmon. I think artists should be a little, little bit more maybe upfront, transparent, and maybe even more honest with themselves about it. I was like, yeah, I do this for work. I do this because I want to make money and make a living and put food on the table and, you know, clothe my children or, or be able to make a car payment or even be able to make, buy gas. Um, and I'd like to see artists see themselves more as working class artists or a working class that they have actually more in common,
0: you know. But we don't see it as a career. We don't see it as like, oh, go through school. It, it, it's always phrased as though it's a hobby. Yeah, it, it, it's always phrased like, it's your outlet. Now go do some real work. Or as a
1: weird... Outlying accident that like, oh, you're just magical enough to be an artist, right? Because yep. when we were kids, like, you know, it was yep. one of the, you know, you could do a taxonomy of the jobs that children want, you know, you know, at the age of five. And like for boys, it's like fireman, space dude, you know, artist is always in the mix.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I want to be an artist. I remember a lot of my peers as a young person saying artist. I probably said it at some point, you know, um, but something changes over time um, in, in in American Inculcation of how we think about these things and the myths that get attached to that. So I want to see artists be more like workers and self-identify with like the person working at the DMV or the person, you know, uh, working on the road crew or something like that. Because I think you have more in common as an artist with them than you do with most other professions if you just were really honest, if we're just really honest with ourselves about it. Filmmakers, I want to see more think more like artists and identify with artists. Um, Because there's more in common with you in a town like Seattle with, like, the person who's, like, doing a show at On the Boards or the multimedia artist who's creating an installation that's going to be, you know, at a gallery or at the Henry or something like that. You have more in common with them than you do a successful filmmaker in L.A. I guarantee that. And if we're just more honest about that, all of a sudden we realize we have safety in numbers. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people working in creative industries in, in, in Seattle, and there's a lot of opportunities for filmmakers if you just partner with the right people, but those people aren't necessarily other filmmakers. You know, what about tech entrepreneurs? What about, you know, there's need for motion picture storytelling in all sorts of different venues. There's need for photographic documentation and, 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 and representation and, and storytelling in a lot of different stuff. If we just think as filmmakers all the time and we only hang out with filmmakers, um, we lose the opportunity of, one, drawing an identity with other artists who are struggling just as much as we are. hmm uh, and then other the, the creative collaborations and opportunities happen well, that way.
0: Well, and also it, if if you stay separate, it's easy to keep you keep you down. Like if you stay al- mm. if you stay alone, it's easy to make it so you're not totally successful. Like we have to get out of this where we feel like we have to do it all alone. We yep. don't, and it's not a failure. Yep, it's not a failure to ask for help, and it's not <sighs> a failure to work with others.
1: Man, I'll, I'll tell you, like a great way to to describe how that opportunity potentially does work when artists work together. I'll tell you an anecdote. Like, I, in 2011, 2012, Occupy was in Seattle, like our version of Occupy. Um, and I would regularly go down to check it out to see what was going on. Because I thought it was an amazing piece of street theater. Regardless of how you felt about the process or the politics involved and the viability of it, it was an amazing piece of street theater. And I thought it was an organic reaction to a lot of things that are continuing to happen in America uh, 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 in terms of wealth inequality and opportunity inequality, right? I would tell my quote unquote artist friends about like I'm going out to Occupy and even convince some of them to come with me. And I remember once going down with an art local artist and that artist was so problematically dismissive of what they were seeing at Occupy, even though this was like, look, you don't have to like it, but it's a phenomenon of street theater. Yeah, They left. They were just like so dismissive of it. And it's something I knew about their identity. That person's identity as an artist couldn't allow themselves to be seen as in any way in... In allegiance to something that was kind of bizarre. And, and, and yeah, I mean, you know, Occupy had its issues in terms of like how stuff was done. Mm-hmm. Didn't look like protests from the past, you know, and they were doing things, but they were doing things for themselves and it was street theater. And I was members being so, not all artists that I went down there with, some in particular went down there and really enjoyed the experience and, and to look at it in that way. And I looked at it as an artist and an activist. And I was like, but so many of my artist friends just completely dismissed Occupy. And I was just like, I was in, I'm still incredulous. I'm like, What? you're somehow not a worker? You're someone who somehow is not, look at you. You're, you're, you're living hand to mouth. We're all living hand to mouth. We're struggling to find uh, like housing in, in a city that, that becomes increasingly and exponentially unaffordable to live in. Yep. And I, you can't identify with other workers? Yep,
0: well, I, I, found, I found the exact same thing when I worked in the homelessness uh, issue for the past year, and especially in um, uh, housing issues for middle for workers How for middle income. I don't and know
1: this experience. Of, like I know you ran this program. You ran a program that was sponsored by the Gates Foundation. Yeah, so so
0: I was commissioned <laughs> to to produce uh, four animated short films addressing family homelessness, and I was able to pay filmmakers to create a project and help them shepherd that project yeah. through. But um, you know, I got uh, involved with the Housing Development Consortium, which is not focused on low-income housing, but it's focused on workforce housing, which is the middle that doesn't exist anymore mm. right now in, in the economy. And to help, because what's happening is because workforce housing doesn't exist, it's then taxing the low-income housing with people who aren't low-income but can't afford the luxury because that's the only other option. Mm-hmm. And so here I am going to these um, these meetings and, and these uh, city council meetings that the, d- that the development consortium was going to. Not one filmmaker or artist is even knowing or knows about it, or is going to these things, yeah. or and I and I would start posting things about what the housing development consortium is doing, and the aversion to kind of almost like well that we see a lot in society of um, I'm not poor, mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm an artist. I, I'm not like I uh, one pay, paycheck away from just total destitution or being God, on the streets. Yeah. I'm some, I want to be someday the, the 1% like mentality in a way, like mm. this delusion that this doesn't apply to us. Mm -hmm. And I was just like almost screaming, like we need to be a part of this. Can you imagine if the film community got behind it like we get behind the incentive and like we get behind other things and said we demand to be able to live in the city where we're working Mm -hmm. and be able to afford it and not have it be 50% of our income or 60% of our income?
1: Yeah.
0: Hello? Like we are... We are activists in nature. Like we can make films about it. We mm-hmm. can make, you know, this, we're a propaganda machine. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just, it blew me away. Yeah. Blew me I, away.
1: I, and I don't want to be too judgmental about artists, but it really surprised me about Occupy like, couldn't you just look at this as a aesthetic phenomenon of what people are doing down there? I don't like it or just
0: like look at it. It's like, no, just cause it's, cause it's activism. And I think it's because we don't see, I, I think it's what you're talking about. We don't see as what we do as work. We don't see it as... Labor. Yeah, as that something we should require to exchange our mm-hmm. time for money.
1: Yeah. I, I want to go back to my time in the UK. Um, uh, again, being the value of being immersed in a different culture about that talks about things differently. Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, look, the UK is like, it's a, it's a very class-conscious place. Um, and America is very class amnesia about stuff. And I, you know, look, I'm, 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 I'm a white, I, I, benefit from the white privilege, right? I've got white privilege. I own a house. I, um, you know, I can make a living. Um, I am middle class or I think I'm middle class though. If I really look at the bottom line, you know, I'm, I'm struggling paycheck to paycheck as well mm-hmm. and I have to make compromises all the time in my life. Look, I'm not mm-hmm. complaining about that. I, if I can build a life where I can make movies and, and teach, which are two great things like, all right, I'm I'm, I'm great with that. Look you know, I'll leverage that white privilege to be able to hold on to that, though it's not a particularly privileged place in life in terms of money. And it's uh, that 1%, 99%, I'm definitely in the 99%. Leave that aside, I'm living in the UK uh, I, and I'm in the I'm, I'm in the country for about a month. So I'm reading British newspapers, Scottish newspapers, British newspapers. I'm listening to a lot of British, you know, radio commentary and stuff, and things are happening and, you know, and stuff. And then i literally, I'm walking down the street one day and I'm like, Bam, like, like a bolt of lightning. I was like, oh, wait, I'm working class. <laughs> oh, shit. I come from working class people. My people are all working class people. I am working class, essentially. I grew up in a family of working class people. I am working class. They've all, we've all done successful and taken advantage of opportunities that the America used to give people in the middle of the 20th century mm-hmm. that don't anymore, at least not with a lot of a debt attached to it. Um, but I benefited from that. But I forgot. That I was working class, and that's something that America's really good at—is obfuscating and and introducing this idea of forgetfulness. If you make it even close to the middle class, that you may have a consciousness that's based actually in in, in working. All of a sudden, I was like, it blew me. Like I literally almost stopped in my tracks and like, oh right, I'm um, I'm working class. But I just needed to be immersed in a culture for about, I was only there maybe a month. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I recognize myself in the way that people talk about the consciousness in politics. And my goal from that point and even before that was like, what's the utility of the work that you do as an artist? How does it function in society? In the sense that like the labor that you do with your hands, how does it benefit society? Um, as filmmakers, like, wh- what is this? Does How does this function in the marketplace? How does it function for people? Is it entertainment? Is it is it instruction? Is it education? Is it something different? Is it, you know? But I, I ask myself that all the time. I have to because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I'm scared crapless that, like, no one's going to want to watch a film about a Scottish painter. I have my doubts whether anyone wants to watch a film about a Scottish painter, you know? so happens that that painter... Is visually impaired, so there's a little hook there. Do people want to watch this? Does Mm -hmm. it have a utility? Is my labor productive? Is it worth funding?
0: I hope so. Well, and and even more to that, you and I, um, I think we share uh, that we can look at our community and sometimes we feel that resources are wasted or that are not, are not, are not utilized, pro- you know, like to its fullest. And that yeah. sometimes we feel like a lot of money gets put into projects that maybe shouldn't have. Mm. Sure. What, what makes us
1: special? above that? But yeah. What makes us
0: special? Like, We're are not. we just blowing smoke up our, at- like our own ass? At- like, you know what I mean? Like I think about it all the time. Like I can sit there and say, it well, was at the best use of that money, but who's to say I would use it better?
1: I used to get in trouble. A trouble is too strong a word. I, I would get sideways glances and, 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 and disapproving glances when I would say this at, at, at Northwest Documentary Association gatherings or meetings and stuff like that. Someone would pitch this an amazing idea for like a, a, doc, a huge, big, epic documentary. And all, more often than not, I'm like, oh, that sounds like it would be really great for radio, and that'll cost you a, like so much less to do for radio. Plus, it'll be a more effective way of telling that story if you think about how people engage with their ears as opposed to their eyes. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you know, and, you know, filmmakers felt shut down or shot down because I was like, that's a great story for radio. Um, But I think it's an example of like, if we have to be really honest with ourselves, it's like, what's the right medium? Look, you know, I've said this to other filmmakers, documentary filmmakers, too. It's like, what if you took all the years of work and all the money that went into that and all that labor? And what if you just actually went to that little village in sub-Saharan Africa and just lived there for two years and put a bunch of money in it? maybe that would be a more effective allocation of resources than rather than just try to make a movie because it makes you feel good to be a movie maker. Ouch.
0: Well, Look. and two, sometimes activism movies, like you're like, what if you put all that resources just into the cause you're trying exactly. to educate about? Or hire a lobbyist. Yeah.
1: You, so you spent $50,000 on this film. Uh, what if you could hire a lobbyist for $50,000 for eight months of work to work a legislative issue? Mm -hmm. Gee, I wonder which can be more effective at the end of the day. Uncomfortable questions. Yeah. This is one of the things as filmmakers, I think we have to always continually examine as ourselves, as our identities, our professional identities. A lot of people, frankly, get into filmmaking because it feels good. It looks good. A lot of people choose to be artists because it... There's a status to it. There's a status to it. And there's a steam attached to that. Mm -hmm. But if you're, let's say, a documentary filmmaker and you're issues-oriented documentary filmmaker, I find that we should we should continually look at the utility of the thing that we're producing does it really make sense or is it just a is it just a distraction from the actual issue and god knows i don't want anybody out there who wants to make a movie about uh, uh, climate change or about you know, natural resources or women's you know, rights, or, you know, Hey, look, yeah, yeah. man, if you think you've got an angle and you got a story that's going to work in a particular venue, that's going to get people to participate and that your call to action is going to be acted upon. That's great. But really ask yourself that question and be willing to come up short. Look, I'm willing to come up short with the Keith famine film. I don't see it as an activist film. I'm not sure. For me, it's experimental filmmaking. I'm going to make a film where we're going to watch some dude painting, and it's <laughs> and, not Bob Ross. And that's Ross. even
0: harder to, <laughs> to fundraise for. Yeah, so maybe. Yeah, yeah. But for me,
1: that's an experimental kind of film. And yeah. maybe that's self-serving. But as a f- motion picture storytelling, I want to examine like, the different ways that we're going to treat this in post-production. And the way that I'm shooting it is, is very different from that I've shot things before. But I could be wrong. And there could be no utility in this movie. And I have to live with that. But that's why also, well, I'll ask you this, too. Do you feel, as a filmmaker who bootstraps all your projects, do you feel a little safer ethically and morally to take that responsibility on until you get to a certain point?
0: Absolutely. Tell me about that. Uh, y- because, well, uh, uh, the, other, the other half of being an artist is being in- incredibly insecure okay. <laughs> about, about yourself. And do I actually have something to say? am I the person to say it, you have to get through a project. You have to have almost a delusion. Like we have to be a little nuts Mm -hmm. to to do this. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. It looks glamorous. It's anything but. It's emotional. It's taxing. It's, and not only that, I've invested my marriage into this. So I've, Mm. I've put my relationship on the line that if this doesn't work out, I I used to be
1: married to someone in the film industry. (laughs) I used to be married to someone in the film industry. Used to be. you, I love? Yes, yes. Go ahead. Sorry.
0: So, so (laughs) definitely I feel, I feel like if I'm going to ask someone for money, I want to prove that I have something worthy of funding. I want, I ask myself, what do I need in order to give that money? Sometimes it's just a relationship. Sometimes it's, I know this person, I love this person, I want to support this person. And that's great, that's a, val- that's a totally valid form of fundraising. But if I want to get strangers who don't know who I am, I have to give them some, I have to, I have to prove myself a little bit, mm-hmm. because I don't have a name that's recognizable mm-hmm. yet. And so I have to say, because I think there's, and there's a lot of people, like when I look at Kickstarter um, campaigns, and it's in the pre-stages, I look at like, how do I know you're actually going to do what you say? Mm -hmm. How do I know that you actually have the salt to Mm -hmm. put it all together? Mm -hmm. I don't know if I want to, if that's a worthy investment. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that's probably crass to say, but I, so I, I am much more comfortable fundraising in post when I can show at least a little bit like can show a compelling trailer. I can show a, com- I can show footage. I can show little, little bits of like, this is going to be, I I truly believe now this is going to be fucking awesome. And you mm-hmm. should be on board with us mm-hmm. because I feel it's so much easier to be like, I want you on my team. I want you to be, I want you to get in now so that you're part of the cool crowd, mm. but I got to like make it cool first. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely
1: I think it's an important thing to, to, to talk about. I'm glad you said it because I think I struggle with this. But sometimes when you're, and this is the thing about being a filmmaker, you're just like, we often work. Even when you're you and Chris work alone a lot, mm-hmm. I work alone a lot. I mean, I have it's friends. It's very who lonely. Work in film. It's weirdly lonely, and I don't think it's hard to people. And it's also isolating, mm-hmm. particularly when you're spending a lot of time in post production, just the work that gets done. But I spend a lot of time in my head just strategizing: How am I going to get this done? How am I going to pay for these plane tickets? So am I going to be able to afford a sound person, or do I need a grip? And you know, who's going to come? And what are we going to do? And do I have enough time? And I got to balance this other stuff out. Like it's it's isolating just because of the time that you don't allow we don't have as independent filmmakers to really sit and think through things. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something that hopefully things like this podcast will address the fact that we're not alone. You know, other people are doing the same things and we're creating more opportunities for people to compare notes, to work together, to uh, outsource maybe some of the anxiety. Mm -hmm. So I'm really glad you said what you said, because it's something that I just don't have time to articulate to myself, that that's exactly what I struggle with. That's one of the things I struggle with, is that I don't feel comfortable bringing investors in or partners in until I know that I've gotten to a certain point because I don't want to drag them down yep. and here's the other thing I don't want to drag down the opportunity for other mm-hmm. filmmakers to leverage partners community partners and funding because we've seen, by we've fucking seen the something it. up yeah we're s- taking 10 years to make a fucking movie yep and pouring a bunch of because we've seen it we've seen
0: it in our own community
1: and it scares investors away. Yeah, come on, let's just be honest. It scares people away when yeah. you when you make a terrible film and it costs a lot of money and people lose money on it or people lose faith lose f- uh, faith in the in the cause. Um, and it sounds like as a filmmaker, you and Chris are always considering the utility and legitimacy of the projects that you're working on. Not as it's just even if it's viability, but then it's, how does it function within a community? Yeah. This is going to be good for the people who are working on it. This is going to be good for the people who are are investing in it. Is this going to be good for the legacy or how it represents
0: Seattle filmmaking? And Uh, and I think that's one thing we've had been able to have control over in our careers because there's very little as filmmakers that you have control over. I mean, it seems like you have control over a lot, but you don't. hmm. And one thing we have control over is we have control over the experience of the people who work with us on a, on a project and Mm -hmm. what type of experience they have. Yeah. And if we can just continue to make positive experiences, it's only going to help us the rest of the community Mm -hmm. as well. And hopefully feed into more positive experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think that creates more positive, like not positive necessarily, uh, art, but just. It's generative. Correct. Yeah.
1: Creates more opportunities potentially, hopefully like that. I hope that's the case. I've made my mistakes on sets. I've been... Oh, I have too. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, I'm just thinking back, like, I'm thinking back to a couple of things. I was involved as a line producer in a film, and the film was a miserable experience for a lot of people involved. I, I know that. I get that. I was complicit in that. Um, I had to be, to some degree, in order to survive in that position, or just get the job done. Um, tried hard at times, but failed um, at times. And no one's to be blamed for that. No one, but... That I didn't like that experience, but I've also been part of a shoot where at the end of it, people came to me and said, that's the most fun they've ever had set in their lives. That's where I'd like to position myself.
0: Well, and I think it's a, it's a balance. Cause I don't just want like to have everybody have a good time. I also I do. I, well, yes, <laughs> but I also want,
1: I want to have a good time.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I also think that, um, in order for them to have a truly positive experience, we have to do our work. Before then, and it's all in the script. Yeah. We have to start projects only when the script is not just good, is great.
1: And that breakdown is there, it's yep. ready to be shot. Because
0: only then will everything else fall into place and, and be yeah. a truly positive experience. Because I want it to be a positive experience when they see it on the screen too. Mm-hmm. I want them to be proud. I want them to be happy that they gave all that um, to this project. And so I feel like we owe it.
1: All right, I want to ask you a question. Yeah. What's the, the stated goal that you just expressed is that you want the best possible experience, the enriching, enjoyable, stress-free?
0: Well, not necessarily stress-free, All right, but, okay. but like that it's worth it. It's worth the, the, the effort, the struggle, the, um, the, the long hours, the, everything that goes into it.
1: Okay. What's your big, what have you identified as the biggest hurdle from you personally as a filmmaker to get to that spot? What's, what makes it tough for you? What's your challenge? Because I'm learning this about myself as a mm-hmm, filmmaker. Mm-hmm. What's the hardest thing for you to get to that point?
0: Finding the right balance of being, because you only have so much funding. So finding the right balance of being lean and nimble and making sure that people are getting as much as you can possibly give them Uh, in terms of pay and everything else, but also not doing it at the detriment of their, like asking too much because it's so, like everybody's doing 16 jobs. Um, And I think that's the hardest part. And it's, I know when um, Chris and I take on even more to try to relieve that burden from everybody else, it then hinders our ability to direct a powerful movie.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm going to break it down. I've looked at my experiences too. I think a lot of the same things like, okay, so we choose, we, we understand we bootstrap our projects. So we're, we're taking responsibility, personal responsibility for these films at at various stages as they're being made. That means that we have to work and do things diversely, but that we have to get good at a lot of different diverse things. Right. Mm -hmm. I have a problem that, and it's not about ownership, And I think people see this, and I understand why they see me sometimes as being like a control freak. Um, And I'm not a control freak. It's because then when a project gets to a point where I need to collaborate with other people, uh, I I, I can become very impatient um, with other people. And it's not because I wanna control them, it's because I just have ingrained this thing and it's not right. And I apologize to all the people that I've offended for being a total dick because I'm really impatient. Um, is because I feel like I can do it better faster and it costs less if I do it. That's a terrible recipe for at times for collaboration. And yep. I've just pissed people off and alienated people and and, and and appeared to be quite arrogant to them. And I regret that. And I'd like to figure out a better way to do it. But it is a little bit of the byproduct of like, well, it's just not going to cost as much if yep. I do the sound and the shooting. Yep. But you know, God's honest truth, it's not going to be as good enough of a film Yep. If I do it all. Yep. So I have to learn to be more patient with other people and, op, but, and then also provide the opportunity for collaboration. But here's the thing. If I don't have any money, I can't pay people. Yeah. I'm not going to ask them to work for free. Yeah. And so that becomes an added psychological burden on me. If yep. I'm paying them low wages, I get frustrated because I'm already frustrated with myself.
0: And you know what you're asking.
1: And I don't like it. Yeah. Whatever It Takes is produced by Pete Ryan, Lindy Busted, and yours truly, Dan Thornton.
0: Recording and engineering by Gary Mueller at the Bonnie Love Recording Studio in scenic Columbia City, Washington.
1: Stay in touch. Give us some feedback. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know other things that you'd want us to talk about.
0: We look forward to hearing from you.